So today, we are beginning a four-week series I'm calling Marriage in Christ. And I'm well aware that this is not the easiest subject to talk about. And some of you are wondering if this will even be worth your time and your attention. Maybe you're single and you're thinking, this isn't for me. Or, or maybe you're divorced and you're afraid this is going to be a, a painful four weeks. If you're in high school or middle school, maybe even elementary school, you're thinking, this is for the adults, it's not for me. Or maybe even if you're married and you're struggling, you're hopeless and cynical that any discussion on marriage is going to help you at all. So I understand. I get it. There are all kinds of reasons to be tempted to disengage, to pull back. You know, the Bible gives us pretty cl- a very clear picture of where those temptations come from. The first thing the Bible tells us in James chapter 1, that the temptations that we experience come from inside of us, our own impure desires. We want the wrong things, and because of that, we're tempted to go in the wrong direction. And then in addition to that, the Bible also tells us that our adversary, the evil one, is the tempter of the whole world. And so this temptation that we're battling right now to disengage, to already resist God's word, to to walk away and not hear what God has to say about marriage, is the result of the impure desires working inside of us, the dark desires at war outside of us, stoking those impure desires. And this darkness and evil is trying to hide from us the light of Christ. Christ wants us to see that marriage matters. And one of my goals is to help you see why it matters far more than many think. And so whoever you are, in whatever situation you are in, tell yourself, God has something for me in this. So fight that temptation with faith. Believe that what God has for you, no matter your situation, no matter your trial, no matter your status, will be good for you. That will help you stay engaged and to keep listening. And so let me say that title of the series again, Marriage in Christ. I could have just called this series Marriage or some other witty title, which would have bombed because I'm not the wittiest guy in the world. But I really believe strongly in the in Christ part. Marriage is God's idea. We did not invent it. God designed it. And what we will see today of Christ is the key to understanding the point of marriage. That's very important to know because marriage understood in our culture is very different than what God has designed. And so, and so you need to understand then from the very beginning, from the very beginning, that marriage, because of Christ, because of his light, because of his grace, his words, 
that marriage in Christ is going to look um, strange, unconventional, um, out of step in comparison to the standards of many out in the world today. Marriages in Christ are just, friends, going to be different. They're going to be different. In spite of the challenges and in all of the, in midst of all the struggles, marriage in Christ, marriages in Christ stick when everybody else is telling you to let it go, to pull the plug. Marriages in Christ have husbands who crucify, who kill every selfish tendency that emerges in his mind and in his heart for the purpose of and for the goal of loving and serving and blessing his wife. Marriages in Christ have wives that ignore the world's message that's centered on personal fulfillment so she can serve her husband and their mutual goal of honoring the Lord Jesus. Marriages in Christ are comprised of couples who know the glory of God is at stake in their relationship. Married couples in Christ know that a loveless, faithless, deceptive relationship is is a kind of false teaching that will lead their children astray. So they work hard to put Christ at the center and practice love and fidelity and, and honesty. And so to get at what I'm, I'm talking about today and this idea of the point of marriage, I, I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 5 with me. So why don't you grab a Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. If you don't have a, a Bible with you, we have Bibles in the seats near you. You could look uh, in the seat in front of you or, or the one that you're sitting on and grab a Bible. Turn to the, the New Testament book of Ephesians. You know, there are a number of important passages in the Bible about marriage. This one is as important as any of them. I'm going to start reading in, in verse 22, but, but before I do that, I, I, I don't pay so much attention this morning to the roles that God gives a husband and a wife. Um, in a few sermons, we'll talk about uh, the various roles that God gives in marriage, we'll talk about a wife, what it means to submit to a husband and how a husband submits to his wife by giving loving, sacrificial leadership. You know, too many times I think when we read this passage, we get distracted a tad, but what he's supposed to do and what she's supposed to do, and we miss the big picture. We miss the big picture. And then, of course, we, we oftentimes will butcher the idea of submission we totally miss it. It's, some, we, it's something that we men at times think we can impose, which is totally ungodly. And it's also something that oftentimes wives might think is demeaning, and it's not at all. It's not at all as we understand it according to God's word. And so we're going to talk about these things, but we're going to talk about them in a couple of weeks. Today, what I'm hoping you do uh, is that you, I want you to, I want you to focus on the comparison that Paul is making between Christ and his church and a husband and his wife. I want you to try to pay attention to how Paul compares Christ and the church with a marital relationship. You'll, you'll see, 
And, and hear often Paul saying phrases like, as Christ, or as the church, or, or in the same way as, or just as Christ. All these comparison phrases. And Paul's working so hard to help us see that there is this correlation, this comparison between Christ and the church and a marriage. And so I'm going to start reading in verse 22 of, of Ephesians 5. Follow along with me. He says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. I'm guessing you noticed the, these comparisons that Paul is making. A husband's love for his wife ought to be like Christ's love for his church. He sacrifices for her, cherishes her, works for her good and for her spiritual growth. That's just like Christ, what he does for his church. And a wife respects her husband. Like, like the church looks to Christ for help and, and nourishment and care for leadership. A marriage in Christ is like this covenantal love found between Christ and his church. Now, as you think about that, I want you to ponder a question. Which one came first? Which one came first? Which one is the original? Which one is the template? And, and which one is the copy? I know some of you artists out there, or maybe if you're a quilter, you might use a, a template. You know, you, you, use, you want this pattern to be seen throughout your work, and so you use the template over and over again so you get the pattern just right. So it all looks like the original. So what's the original in, in in this passage. Well, Christ in the church is the original. Christ in the church is the template. Christ and his church sets the pattern. And so a marriage is patterned after this beautiful, mysterious, eternal relationship that God instituted, the very foundation of the world. In fact, Paul goes back and forth so often in this passage between Christ and his church and between a, a husband and a wife that, that 
he has to clarify things. He says that in verse 32. Hey, just so you know, just so you know, this, this mystery is profound, but I'm saying that it refers, refers to Christ and his church. And, and they're so closely connected, and I've been oscillating back and forth. I, I just want you to make sure you know the real relationship, the original, the template is, is Christ. It's Jesus and his church. That's the truly beautiful, glorious, mysterious relationship. And marriage is supposed to be just like that. That's the way it's supposed to be. And that should tell you something very profound about your marriage, if you're married. And something profound about your future marriage, someday possibly, if you are are single. And it's that our marriages, friends, are designed to reflect the glorious relationship between Christ and his church. Let me say that again, because it's so important that our marriages have been designed to reflect the great love of God for his church and the church's love for its Savior. Based on what God's word is telling us about marriage, people should look at our marriages and see God's love for his lost people in them. Our marriage, it should be a story. It should be a parable, if you will, of God's sacrificial, pursuing love, his self-emptying commitment of service to lost sinners like you and me. And then in addition to that, marriage in Christ should also instruct us, the church, on what it looks like to follow, to respect, to honor the sacrifices of God's grace that he has given to us in Christ. So think about, just as an example, think about the way marriage is meant to impact our children, our grandchildren. Can you see how our marriage is one of the ways our kids learn then and understand and see how God relates and treats the people he died to save? By looking at mom and dad and their love for each other, kids will make conclusions In fact, they're meant to make conclusions of what God's love is like. Friends, that's God's design. That's what he intended to do. That's why I said earlier that marriages in Christ understand that one of the worst kinds of false teaching our kids can receive is is their parents' loveless, selfish, demanding, insensitive, ungrateful marriage. Our marriages instruct our kids about God's love. They tell a story about what God's love is like. It's like not an option. You can't say, well, I don't mean my marriage to be that. Like I never thought that that's, well, it doesn't matter. That's what God's, that's what God has done in marriage. And so you have the option the opportunity to do great good or great harm to children and grandchildren by marriage. And so even just 
processing that. Let's think through this. Let's brainstorm together a little bit. What possibly, if I could ask you, what could you start doing? What should you start doing immediately to image Christ and the gospel better to your children, to your grandchildren? You know, hey, husbands out there, dads out there, uh, how about um, maybe, it's, maybe it's refusing to put yourself first all the time. You know what I mean? Uh, maybe you're filling your home with all law and no grace. You have these high, unrealistic, selfish demands on your wife, on your children, that they would do whatever you want them to do. That's your law. We're going to eat where I say we're going to eat. We're going to watch the TV show that I say we're going to watch. Nobody's going to cross me. Failure is not accepted in this home. And if Christ was as selfish and demanding like that, he would never save a sinner like you. You know what I mean? That is not the way to love your wife. And you teaching, you're teaching your children, especially your sons, to be selfish and demanding people who see no need for Christ living like that. Or wives, moms, maybe you're, maybe you're constantly cutting your husband down. You make fun of him, you know, to those around. But, you know, you kind of do it with a joke so it doesn't come off too too strong, too cutting. He's not perfect. And you mock every attempt that he makes rather than appreciating his efforts. Deep down, you really have no respect for your husband and it shows. Are you not instructing your children through your example that Christ is not worthy of your service, of your respect, of obedience? Now, I want to encourage you, again, because I'm very much aware that talking about marriage brings up all of our regrets. Brian, I've already messed this up. I've already already, uh, made things difficult for my children, for my spouse. I've already already messed the plan up. I I understand. And, And I have good news for you in that God's grace always is enough. God's grace is always present. God's grace can always take the mess that we've made and still turn it out somehow by his mercy into something we can be glad for and and thankful for. And so in spite of my marital failures, in spite of your marital mistakes and failures, friends, I'm here to tell you that God's grace is enough to overcome those mistakes. He is. I'm hoping that you're willing to open up your heart, be humble enough to ask for God's help. Now, author Paul Tripp has this, this sentence that he, he often uses in his marriage material called, um, What Did You Expect? And it's a very helpful sentence. I'm going to read it for you and then we're going to talk a little bit about it. He says that a marriage of love Unity and understanding is not rooted in romance. It is rooted in in worship. I'm going to read that again 
a, a marriage of love, unity, and understanding is not rooted in romance. It is rooted in worship. You know, it took me a while to really appreciate what Tripp was saying. And I'm still trying my best to apply it in my own personal life. And I don't have time to get into the depth of that, of that sentence. But I do want to bring it up and talk a little bit about it in relationship to this idea that we've been highlighting that with the point, the point of marriage is that is reflecting the glory of Christ and the glory of the gospel. Uh, and it really has to do with this idea of worship, that a marriage of, of love, unity, and understanding is, is rooted, grounded in worship. And I want to contrast that with what he calls romance, but then I want to throw in there another, uh, another idea of communication. Um, communication. If there, are, if there are any two activities, two qualities that I think many see as saviors of marriage, it is communication and romance. And so let me kind of talk about each of those here real briefly and then contrast that to worship. If we just had better communication, our marriage would be great. If I had a nickel every time I've heard that, I'd be a very wealthy pastor. Because I've heard that a ton. And of course, communication is really important. Better communication can certainly help you enjoy a stronger marriage. But I want to suggest to you, friends, it is far short from the key. Because here's the thing. You and your spouse can enjoy great communication. You might have the ability to express your feelings, express your thoughts. You might do a very good job listening and still be selfish. You can communicate really well and still despise your spouse. I mean, you tell me, who has a better shot at making it work? The couple who struggles at communicating, who are completely frustrated by their misunderstandings and their misspoken words, and even maybe they lack, you know, communication's a skill that you, you develop over time. And so they just lack that skill for whatever reason, just hasn't been developed in their life. But in spite of that, they confess their sins to each other imperfectly. They forgive each other as best as they can. And they regularly make sacrifices on a daily basis. Or the couple who does communicate well, who's been even trained in communication skills, whether it's through marriage conferences or even maybe professional, professional development but who hate each other, who think, I'm not the problem, she's the problem, who say to themselves, I'm not going to change until he changes. Friends, improving communication is an external solution that only helps these external communicative challenges. It does not change your heart. I've met many people whose heart remains resistant to humility, unwilling to turn, unwilling to be gracious, not willing to forgive, but they'll work on communication. They'll learn the steps. They'll learn the tricks. They don't have a prayer. But romance doesn't do the trick either. Neither does rekindling that loving feeling. Again, that's another myth, that our marriages would only be fixed if we could somehow find that that romantic feeling that, that we had earlier in our marriage. We just felt the same way as we did when we were, you know, most madly 
in love with one another. Um, and I, I, you know, why would we ever dream that our marriages were going to feel the same way that our dating time felt or the time that we had in those first few months of marriage, especially when we were young kids. You know, I was 21 years old when I was married. I didn't know a thing. I didn't know who I was. I didn't know who my wife was. I didn't know what marriage was. I didn't know what life was like. I didn't know about responsibility yet. I made like $7,000, like my first year of marriage. That's how much our tax, you know, our 1040 form. It took me like five minutes to fill it out. I mean, we had nothing. We knew nothing. We had nothing. I wasn't old and ugly yet. You know, we weren't forced to share much yet. We hadn't made any real life-altering compromises. We weren't required to. All we knew is that we were madly in love and we couldn't spend another day apart, you know? Now Corby and I have been married 21 years. She now knows, she now knows what I'm like when I'm sick. She knows what I'm like when I'm grumpy. She knows how selfish I can be. She knows how gross I can be. She knows that dense look on my face when I can't follow those simple instructions, you know, kind of looking like Homer Simpson, just staring like I don't, I'm not following right now. My weird noises at night keep her awake. And guess what? None of that is very romantic. None of it is. It's annoying. It's a turnoff. But it's real life. It is real life. And if my wife was counting on those romantic feelings to kind of carry us through, she would have given up many years ago. Now, that is not to say, that is not to say that a, a man does not make efforts 21 years in, 30 years in, 40 years in to have that pursuing love that, that a wife recognizes and says he cherishes me. Like that's, that is an example of God's pursuing love of us. And it is a good thing for a wife to look expectantly and hopefully, you know, towards her husband. Now, th- those, those romantic feelings, it's not like they're bad. It's just that they're not the key. They're not going to help you endure. And so if it's not romance, if it's not communication, what is it? What will keep us going? What will keep us faithful? How will we endure the many challenges associated with marriage? Well, I suggest that Paul Tripp is right in that he says worship. Worship will keep us going. Now, when you think worship, don't think singing songs here on Sunday morning. Don't think getting your worship on, your groove on, in the car when you're playing your favorite Christian songs. That's not the worship I'm talking about. I'm talking about your devotion to God. Your commitment and faithfulness to Him as your Lord and Savior. I'm talking about your obedience to His Word. Your ongoing service to His way and kingdom. That's the worship that I'm talking about. And that's what's going to keep you going. And so when the communication stinks and the romantic feelings fade, say to yourself, honoring God is my greatest desire. 
Worshiping him is my life's calling. He is worth it. God is deserving. And my God told me to love my wife and stay faithful to her no matter what. My God told me to respect my husband and to appreciate him. My God has told me to sacrifice. My God has told me to keep holding on. My God has told me to commit myself to my marriage in the same way that he has committed himself for the salvation of my soul. Can you see, my good brothers and sisters, how that shift on perspective on marriage will change how you interact and where you'll get the strength to keep going? Because the question is not, do I love my wife? Do I love my husband? Will I remain faithful to my spouse? Do I want to wait for things to be better? The real question is, do I love God? Is he my master and my Lord? Will I be faithful to his words? Will I wait and trust God through this season of disappointment, through this season of pain? What you do in your marriage or your future marriage, for those of you who are not married yet, but maybe someday, what you do in your marriage is more about what you think and how you view God than what you think and how you view your spouse. And so can I challenge you right now, my good brothers and sisters, no matter how old you might be, no no matter how many years you've been married, because it applies to every single one of us, are you devoted to God? Are you devoted to God? I want you to be devoted to your spouse, of course. Of course I want that. But if you get your devotion to God right, you'll get your devotion to your spouse right. It'll happen. And so how's that? Are you a worshiper of God? Are you willing to listen to him? Are you being obedient to him? Is he your greatest desire? That's the first question. That's the first step as you prayerfully ask God to help you have a marriage in Christ. Now, let me finish by giving some encouragement this morning. Friends, God is able. God is able to do far more than you could ask or imagine. I know some of you married folks have given up. You've settled in your mind that this this is just what my marriage is going to be like. Believe that God can make a difference. Not so much in your spouse or in your marriage, but in you. Believe God can change you because that's the real change. That's where it needs to take place. And we'll talk about that more in this sermon series. But it has to start in you. Are you willing to change? Are you willing to confess your sins? Are you willing to forgive? And God can make that happen. So be encouraged. He is able.